getting specific answer in return, which what most of the sections are. Um, there are also a lot of questions on authorship and wrote them. Uh, some would argue for Joseph Smith, others for Sanford, and others for Orson Crowder, or others. The reality is, is that as you read the, lecture, the seven lectures, they are not in the style of speaking or writing for Joseph Smith. They're very much in the style theological, systematic flow through doctrine is exactly the way Sidney Rigdon would speak and write. The belief is that Sidney did most of the writing, but Joseph very clearly is, is telling him what to write, but it's being put in Sidney's format, if that makes sense. I don't pay much attention to that argument because it doesn't really matter, because what we do know is that Joseph Smith taught these seven lectures as we did them to dozens and dozens of missionaries coming through the school of the prophets before they go out on the missions. So whoever wrote, it's kind of like who wrote the proclamation of the world on the family, or who wrote the living Christ document. Does it have to be the prophet himself writing it, or the fact that they use it and they signed it and they agreed to it? That's the important thing. Um, the other issue that carries a lot of weight is lecture number five. Um, the, the way they organize the American College Fifth, it caused a lot of confusion. People said, wait, so we're Trinitarians? After all, because of the way it's worked, there are only three verses in lecture fifth. They're really long, it only covers two pages. But wow, it, it reads a lot like the Mosiah 15, if you're familiar with book one. It makes people really confused about the Godhead. And I'll talk a little bit more about that when we get lecture fifth. Ultimately, that when somebody asks me why we're going to read the scripture, I say, well, we give you a lot of reasons why I shouldn't speculate, but at the end of the day, prophets, sinners, and revelators pled with the Lord to know what to do, and I think the Lord answered him. Let's remember that it served its purpose, let's take it out of the, the doctrine of heavens. So it's no longer canonized. And we can now look at it as a remnant of our church history and benefit from it without having to argue about whether it's on the Okay. Why study the seven lectures? Lectures on faith. First lecture, first verse says, Faith being the first principle in revealed religion and the foundation of all righteousness. What percentage of righteousness? Necessarily claims the first place in the course of lectures which are designed to unfold to the understanding you find this beautiful fact that Joseph Smith authorized and used this of all the topics he said sending missionaries out in the world they've got to know how to have faith in God until life of salvation they've got to be familiar there and then everything else is going to work its way on that foundation of the first principle of the gospel so here's how it's outlined if you're sitting in the school of the prophets and you You'd be introduced first to lecture first with the topic of faith. What is it? What is this word? We use the word faith and we think everybody knows what we mean. And in most cases, we're probably right. But in some cases, our definitions are very different than what Joseph and the Sidney and the 
lectures and introducing lectures and panels. Then lectures number two through six are focused on what are the objects upon which faith rests. In order to have faith, what do I need to undergird that faith, the kind of faith that we really care about? And then what are the effects which will flow from faith? What are the benefits? Why should I care? Therefore, what? So what? Like, why should I even spend any time looking at these lectures? Okay, let's jump into the first step. Faith, what is it? Verse 10. It is faith and faith only which is the moving cause of all action. Without it, both mind and body would be in a state of inactivity and all their exertions would cease. This is a pretty self-evident truth here. Would you have ever planted if you had not believed that you could? Would you have ever asked unless you had believed that you would receive? So they're asking these rhetorical questions to kind of prove the fact as faith is the moving cause of all action in temporal concerns, so it is in spiritual. So if you stop and think for a moment this morning, how many times have you used faith? Now, we're not talking about faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're just talking about faith, the generic form of belief in things. Would you have opened your eyes this morning, told your eyelids to lift up, if you didn't actually believe that you were able to see anything? Would you have put your feet out over your bed and stepped if you didn't actually believe there was a floor to stand on? If you didn't trust that there was a floor, would you have flipped the switch if you didn't believe that the electricity was going to actually turn on the light. If it never worked, you would stop flipping the switch because you have no faith in it. Faith is the driving action of everything in temporal concerns. But now Joseph is taking it to this next level. So it is in spiritual. But faith is not only the principle of action. Now this is where we're going to get into a new realm of the definition of what faith really is. It, it doesn't just drive you to act, to, to do things. It's also a power in all intelligent beings, whether in heaven or on earth. The first time I went through this course, and Brother Wilson was sharing this idea of God does all of his powerful acts in the universe by faith. The first time I was like, what are you talking about? He doesn't have faith. He has knowledge. He doesn't need faith. Because I was using the old definition, which is very limiting on faith. Joseph and Satan in this book and others are expanding it out to where faith is much more than just a belief. These are our favorite scriptural definition, Psalm 3221, and he was 11, and some of the passages of defining faith. They define our part of faith, and this expands out to say, no, faith is also power. It's the means whereby intelligent beings do everything they do, whether it's temporal or spiritual. So we'll come back to that a little later. Verse 24. Faith, then, is the first great governing principle which has power, dominion, and authority over all things. By it they exist, by it they are held, and by it they are changed. For by it they remain agreeably to the Lord. Without faith, there is no power. And without power, there can be no creation, nor existence. 
existence. Okay, so now this brings us to lecture second. What are the objects upon which faith rests? What do I need to have before I can actually have the kind of faith that matters? God is the only supreme governor and independent being in whom all fullness and perfection dwells. He is omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. In him, the principle of faith dwells independently. And he is the object in whom the faith of all other rational and account being centers for life and salvation. Did you catch the distinction? You and I, in order to be saved, in order to have real power, we have to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, or faith in God. There's some other ways that the scripture Our faith is centered in and rooted in deity, in these beings that are omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. We are not independently faithful. Our faith is dependent on their capacities and their perfections. You follow me so far? God has perfect faith, but it's not faith in God, and it's not faith in Christ. He doesn't need that because he has a perfect knowledge of that. His level of faith is not at the belief level, it's at the power level. So when we'll get into the creation stuff. It's faith that is power that when he says something, it happens. Not because he believes it's going to happen, but because he's exercising that level of godly faith. And the whole beautiful point of this book, of these lectures, is to show you this ideal and to help encourage us with what is required for us to become more and more and more like God. So that we become beings of increasing light and knowledge and truth and power and all these attributes we're going to be talking here they increasingly become your attributes. So that each day becomes a new opportunity to wake up and, as President Nelson said, find the joy of daily repentance. It's this line upon line, precept upon pre uh, precept, here and there, becoming a little bit more like the beings in whom we center our faith in order to act and in order to have power in what we're doing. Does it make sense for the lost so far? We're good? Sounds up? Okay. So where do we get our belief in God? That's, that's a question that the second lecture is going to answer. Quote, Adam, thus being made acquainted with God, communicated the knowledge which he had unto his posterity. And we would also add Eve. She walked and talked with God in Eden just like and it was through this means that the fathers first suggested their minds that there was a God, which laid the foundation for the exercise of their faith through which they could obtain a knowledge of his character and also of his glory. So in here, you're going to see in the, what's called the Catechism, the question and answer at the end of most of the lectures, where the class members ask questions that are written down and then Joseph would give answers. So, so one of the questions is, so is it possible for somebody to have a correct idea of the existence of God if he, God doesn't reveal himself to man? And the answer is no. So if you picture somebody who has been isolated from all prophetic um, writings and speeches, 
and, and any, any kind of profits for their oil. So picture, I don't know, somebody maybe uh, an Aboriginal uh, individual in Australia or in the Amazon forest who's never had contact with the outside world of any kind. Is it possible then for this person walking through the jungle or through the outback on occasion to pause on the day to say, Thank you. 
this is that famous chapter where Alma the Younger is saying, Oh, if I were an angel, how wish my heart I could have a tremble. Everybody know what I know. Which is kind of ironic coming from Alma the Younger, whose whole life was turned to 180 degrees by an angel. Who shook the ground. Anyway, <coughs> notice verse 8, chapter 29, verse 8. For behold, the Lord doth grant unto all nations of their own nation and tongue to teach his word and in wisdom all that he seeth fit that they should have. Therefore we see the Lord doth cast on wisdom according to that which is just and true. I love that. He's giving as much as he deems necessary to all nations of their own nation and tongue. Elements that are rooted in what we're talking about here, faith in God. To one degree or another. Only. So, in order for you to be now, now we leave that especially come back to the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which we would say is a fullness of the gospel necessary for these latter days. Okay? What is required? Three things. Number one, for me to have that kind of faith, I have to have an idea that he actually exists. If I, if I don't know God exists, I'm stuck there. I don't get to step two and three. So I've got to get through step one. That was the first question. Number two, I have to have a correct idea of his character, perfections, and attributes. Well, that's going to be covered in chapter or lectures two through six. Did you notice the wording here? Step one is I just have to have an idea that God exists. There are a lot of people in the world today who have an idea of a higher being. That's wonderful. It's good to be celebrated. Number two becomes a little more difficult. You need a correct idea. Because there are a lot of people out there who have ideas about what kind of being God is, what he's like, and what he wants you to do. So you have to have a correct idea of his character, profession, and attributes. For instance, if you were to go back in time to the pagan philosophies of the Greco Roman cultures that Jesus was surrounded by, what were the attributes and characteristics of the, the pantheon of, of Roman gods they had stolen from the Greeks and then just gave them Latin names? What were their characteristics and attributes like? Vengeful, uh, immoral, uh, spiteful, um, playing with humans. They have all kinds of attributes and characteristics, but none, very few of them, would actually be connected with the reality right idea of who God really is. So lecture seven through six, we're going to focus a lot on who is he really? And if we're not careful, don't spend that entire time talking about God's attributes and leave it at that, rather than what the whole point of the book is, which is to clearly help you see who God is and what he's like, to the intent that you feel empowered to act in greater faith, to become more like him, to take those attributes and to work on them and to get his help and his grace to become the embodiment of more of those, those characteristics that we've been fully studying about here And then what do I need? Once I've got an idea, I have an idea of God exists, now I've got a correct idea of his attributes and his characteristics, his perfections, but in order to have the kind of faith that leads to life and salvation, number three is I need an actual knowledge through the course of life which I'm pursuing is important to his will. And 
we'll talk about that in much yourself. Okay. Three requirements. Without acquaintance with these three important facts, the faith of every rational being must be imperfect and unperfect. By the way, pause here for a second time out. Can you sense why Joseph would have loved this approach to training these missionaries who are about to scatter the four history of all on their own as they go up there? Can you see why he's reading them so deeply? And when you're teaching, make sure people know that God's there, that he exists, a correct idea of attributes, and that they live their life in accordance with his will, and they do that by sacrifice. This, this to me is ingenious, it's inspired with these early missions. Notice he goes on here. With this understanding, you can become perfect and fruitful, abounding in righteousness unto the praise and glory of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so how do we gain a correct idea of God's character? His answer, without the revelations which he has given to us, no man by searching Well then, if he gets the correct idea or an idea that God exists, could he on his own figure out what kind of a being God is? And the answer is no. So again, prophets have to help us understand not just the error, but what he's like and what he wants you to do. Because most I think it's safe to say most atrocities that have taken place level in the history of the world have, many of them have taken place under the name or under the guise of doing God a favor or being on God's errand because they have some wrong perception of what God is asking them to do or what is attributes to So, what kind of being is he? And what does he expect of us? Lecture third and fourth are going to introduce you to six, now he calls them the characteristics of God in lecture third, and he calls them the attributes of God in lecture fourth. And there, there are six items in both lists. I've studied this over and over, and I've read a lot of things that people have heard about, and I'm still not convinced that I fully comprehend the distinction between the characteristics and the attributes. So I just punt because my brain's too small to figure it out. I just say there are 12 of these, you're going to choose six at a time. God is a creator. So it's one thing for me to say, yeah, there's a God, but it's another to say, ooh, and that God is not sitting some far corner of the universe in a beach chair, sipping sodas and being fanned, and twiddling his thumbs, waiting for some speck out in the vast universe to happen to just form himself by chance at a good distance from a suitable sun or light source and have it rotate just at the right speed so that plants and life could form. Oh, and let's put it at a perfect tilt of its axis so that as it rotates around that sun, you'll be able to provide a wider range of that planet to be inhabitable by life. And he's just hoping 
something that somewhere out there just happens to come together perfectly so he can then send children. Joseph says, no, our God is going to Our God, through faith, not faith is belief, but faith that is power, says the words and brings things, brings things into their proper shape and orbit and location in his universe. He's a creator. But here's the interesting side to this. You see, if you look at Joseph Smith's world of that day, there was there's already a debate between science and creationists in Joseph's day. Um, later on, Darwin was going to make that, just blow that into all kinds of bigger proportions that are going to have fight. Joseph wants to see he says, you're both wrong. Scientists who say, yeah, there is no God, there's no it's all happenstance, it's all lucky chance that we happen to live here. And the creationists who say, no, God created the earth like a wave of a magic wand, almost like Harry Potter, just boom, there was an earth. He said, you're both wrong. God didn't do either of those. He didn't sit back and wait for things to just happen, and he didn't just create out of nothing, ex nihilo. God organized is the word that he'll often use for creation. God organized the heavens and earth. That's how he created. It would be very similar to you walking into a kitchen and seeing matter and organized all these ingredients. You know how to pull together different elements at the right proportions, stir them together at the right time, put them together just right on the pan, and put them in the oven at just the right temperature for just the right amount of time before you pull them out, and you have created something beautiful. It's cookies or this bread or whatever it is out of chaos, out of matter that, that had no order before. That's a better description of what Joseph describes as our God's creation. Number two, our God is merciful, gracious, and slow to anger. He's unchangeable. The same mystery is hidden forever. He's a God of truth and cannot lie. And he is no respecter of persons. And he works righteousness is accepted in him. So I spent a lot of time on creation, but we could spend Hours on each one of these, after each one of these characteristics of God. Let me just share a, a little insight that I heard recently from uh, a new friend, James Monroe. He shared this little concept with me where he said there's a big difference between identity and behavior. And the example he gave is if somebody says, I am a smoker. And person B says, I smoke. There have been enough studies that the person who claims their identity, I am a smoker, is going to have a harder time stopping than the person who puts it only in the behavior, not the identity. Who says, I smoke. I'm a person who smokes. It's a, it's a behavior. They're going to have an easier time letting go because they haven't attached it to their identity. Now, you'll notice in the lecture on faith, how clear Joseph is, this, this insight to me is amazing, that our God, these are part of his identity. These aren't just behaviors. He doesn't just create. He is creation. He, he is a creator. He, he doesn't just do merciful things. He is merciful. Merciful is embodied in his part of his identity. Um, he 
things that God is truth or God is love. Later on. It's this idea that it's part of who he is. Now some of you are thinking, okay, well, this is this is kind of the what difference does it really make? Well, it makes a whole lot of difference if you're trying to have faith in God focus just on the behaviors of what you do or say or how you treat and interact with people it has very much to do with who you're striving to become. What's deeper down the core version of you? What's deep in the heart of nobody knows? What do you do? Drop that talent there. That has to be done. 
But if we worship a God who actually loves you more than you know, and who is more long-suffering and more slow to angry than anger than any Christian you've ever met, and who gets you better than you get you, and who understands all the stupid things you're doing and even why you're doing better than you do, then you won't be ashamed and afraid to go to him, especially in moments of weakness, and say, dear God, I did it again. Why do I keep doing what I do when I know what I know? Without thee and thy mercy and loving kindness and that suffering, I'm lost. Please forgive me. Please help me. I'm trying. I'm working with this. I want to be better. And if you don't see an image of a loving, merciful God in your mind, if you see an angry, vengeful, brow furrowed God, that's not going to be very pleasant. Your faith isn't going to want to grow. You're not going to want to become more like it. Thank you. 
turns everything on its head. You might be going down the wrong path and not know it. So lecture on faith makes it very clear. It makes the point really hard that God knows everything. And now philosophers for centuries, millennia, have been arguing about, well, then you don't really have free will if God knows everything in the future. And those philosophical days have reached forever, and they still reach to this day. And I'm not a philosopher, so I'm not going to jump into that debate. I'm just going to say, I know that God knows all things, past, present, future, and I know I have full agency. And how that interacts, I'm not going to go there. He's a God of power. Unless God had power over all things and was able by his power to control all things and thereby deliver his creatures who put their trust in him from the power of all beings, we might seek their destruction, whether in heaven, on earth, or in heaven. Read 
your fifth. <laughs> and focus on the unity of the Godhead and realize that it's between 34 and 35, which is about uh, six, seven, eight years before section 130 is given, where more description of the nature of the Godhead can be built to Joseph. Give them the opportunity to learn plan for life. Don't don't force them into the box of 1834 and And focus on the unity.